Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas, almost Christmas. <clears throat> I think for God so loved the world that he gave Amber coffee, so I brought it with me this morning. <laughs> um, well, my name is Amber, as uh, Pastor Roger said. I'm one of the worship pastors here on staff, and if we haven't met yet, it's an honor to meet you this morning. Um, I'm continuing on in our series of Oh Holy Night, and because I'm like the musical person, of course, and because I can't believe nobody else has said this yet, um, obviously all of our topics over this series are based on the lyrics of the song Oh Holy Night. So last week we got to hear Pastor Mason preach the thrill, no, oh, see, I already messed it up, <laughs> sweet hymns of joy, and this week we're covering his law is love, mm -hmm. so thanks to Roger and this amazing series we've been on, I've literally had this song stuck in my head all, like, all Christmas series so far, although let's be honest, like, we get, like, this song and all the other songs stuck in our head all Christmas long, and it's the best, so Merry Christmas, everybody, his law is love. Um, so this morning, uh, we are going through this amazing passage um, from the book of Matthew, and thank you, Maya, for reading so beautifully, wherever you are, and lighting our candle this morning. Um, but in this text, we have just an interesting exchange. It starts off with um, a Pharisee. He's called the expert in the law, and he poses this question to Jesus, what's the most important command? And um, when Jesus responds... Uh, you know, like scholars will say, he, Jesus has probably been asked this question a number of times because it's, it's actually kind of an obvious question. What's the most important command? For um, Jews at the time, as they're being grown and raised in, you know, what it means to be us and what it means to be a Jew, they would have heard this verse every day millions of times. It's called the Shema, and it's from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And they're, they're quoting this all the time like a prayer. <laughs> the Lord our God is one. You should love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So everybody would have known this. It would have been um, just obvious, like it's foundational to their identity, their beliefs as a culture. But when Jesus responds, um, he doesn't just give the Shema, he follows it up with, and the second is equally important. And I kind of wonder if the Pharisees right then, their ears would have pricked a little bit, like, what do you mean? Like, what is equally important to, like, putting the Lord first, right? Like, loving him with everything. You know, is he about to, like, say something heretical here? Um, but then he follows it up with this statement, um, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when he says this, it's not, this isn't something that is like a brand new thought or verse. They would have heard that already from Leviticus 19, actually. Love them as yourselves. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but what Jesus is doing in this statement is, for one, he's summarizing everything. And this is what he says. All the law and prophets hang on these commands. He's summarizing the heart of God, his, his um, primary purpose, his primary mode in everything that he does is love. He's summarizing all of it. And then he is saying, he's like deliberately pulling the Pharisees' focus here, like, Focus on this. It is love. And he's saying it is equally important that we love our neighbor as it is important that we love the Lord our God. They are equally important. Um, because it's impossible to divorce love from God. Like, it is impossible. You try to remove the concept of love from God and you remove God himself. Um, God is love. Um, so I have to 
um, I have to confess, like there's this truism when you're ever, um, when there's like a, a, a talk or a message or a teaching, the person who gets the most out of it is the person who's putting it together, right? So, and when I, when I preach, I like to incorporate a lot of scripture and what I'm doing. And honestly, in the last few weeks, I have been just so overwhelmed um, by not only the amount of scripture that speaks to love and just like this love in action and the heart of God um, to love us and to intervene, like it, it has been so overwhelming for one, like um, you can't help but have that change you if you just look at it. And, um, and also just really convicting, like man, the way that God loves is not the way I love. <laughs> Like, compared to him, I'm really bad. Like, all, all week long, I've been like, I'm sorry, kids. Let me try to do better, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know. And, you know, and I don't want you to hear a message this morning that's like, do better. Because, right, like, we all fall short. We all do. But I do want you to hear all throughout, like, just how massive and overwhelming the love of God is. And how it is all throughout scripture. Um, another truth that I just want to acknowledge before we get going here is, um, a lot of time, a lot of people, even people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, um, they see a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like they struggle to see that the God that we serve and love and worship is the same between the two. They'll see like God is harsh and he's all like judgment and wrath and law in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he's all like grace and mercy and love. Um, and can I just encourage you, if you're in that camp, because I know I have been in that camp, I think maybe I go back and forth between that camp sometimes, but if I can just encourage you to keep reading, just keep reading and look in the details, because you will see, and ask God to show you, because he will show you that where there is justice, there is also mercy at the same time, and where there is law, there is grace, and where there is wrath, there is a rescue every time, because that is his heart. So... Law of love. <laughs> a lot of times when we talk about love in church, um, we may point to passages like 1 Corinthians 13, like love is patient, love is kind. Um, but since we're going through this series on kind of like the lyrics of Oh Holy Night um, that come right out of the second verse, um, we're going to be springboarding off of this to look at a very specific kind of love that's expressed in the Bible. So here's the lyrics. You can sing along if you want. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. All oppression shall cease. The love it speaks of here and the love that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22, it is one that demonstrates care and intervention on behalf of those in need. It's demonstrative. The love of God is expressed in action, or as the saying goes, love is a verb. It's not just a philosophy or a mindset or words. It's not just a concept. It is fleshed out in action. It takes action. So we're going to focus on the second half of our text this morning where it says to love your neighbor as ourselves. And in many ways... The better that we are able to love our neighbor, the better place our relationship is with God. After all, 1 John 4.20 says, 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So this morning, as I said, there's so much scripture on this. We're going to kind of do a very quick flyover of scriptures that speak on this kind of love. And we're specifically going to look at five different categories of people for us to show a demonstrated love in action to. So our first category is loving the self. And okay, you might go, this is a weird place to start, <laughs> but we really have to start here because for one, self is after all a category of people, like go like this and say, I'm a category. <laughs> um, and the verse does say, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you heard hundreds of times, it's impossible to love other people if you do not love yourselves. And it's impossible to love, especially it's impossible to love people with the kind of love that God has for us if we cannot live and breathe and move freely in the kind of love that God has for us. If you can't receive it, you can't give it. Um, and I would argue that most of us, and like sometimes when we talk about like the self, um, it's, it can be like almost like a red flag kind of a topic because people, like we're called to not be like selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. And there's plenty of verses in scripture that speak to that, right? Like lay yourself on the altar um, and don't be focused on self. But I would argue that most of us actually have too low of a view of ourselves because we have to remember that we are made in the image of God and that is no small thing. We are someone that Christ looked at, saw value in, and looked on with love and gave his life for, and that is massive. So we have to own that. We have to own that. So this is just a simple one this morning. Take, take just a moment and ask yourself some questions, like a quick personal assessment. This is like reflective time. Um, and if you're following on your notes, um, maybe just write out your own question or two to ponder on through this week, maybe. Some questions. How well do you show love to yourself? Or how do you show love to yourself at all? Are you taking care of your own physical needs, emotional needs, social needs, mental needs, other needs? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Do you give yourself grace? Do you practice self-care as opposed to self-neglect? Do you help yourself, okay, this is especially like uh, Christmas season. Do you help yourself sleep well, <laughs> eat well, rest well, and have fun doing things you enjoy? Are you able to do that? Are you able to buy yourself your own Christmas present? Can I just say that's okay? It's okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I already did. Um, do you speak to yourself as someone you love? Do you speak to yourself as someone God loves? And I have to share a story about this one because this one is real personal for me. Like how many, okay, so we're getting to the end of the year and so January's coming. Anybody like to make New Year's resolutions? Um, I've shared this before, but the new year is like one of a time that I just connected with God probably more than any other time of the year. But I'm one who I might make resolutions, but um, in the last few years I've been like focusing on a word. Who picks a word? Anybody? Hands. Um, so <laughs> the beginning of 2020, I was like looking for a word and um, I really felt the Lord um, pressing into my quiet time like, like really, a word? Like how about we look at a habit? And I'm like, okay, Lord, what, like, what do you mean by that? Um, and God said to me, I want you to focus on speaking to yourself 
with love and encouragement the way I speak to you. And I really, really felt this because I, I have a really harsh inner critic. Anybody. <laughs> like, if you're into Enneagram, like, I wing one. I have a harsh inner critic, like, like all the time in my head. And the Lord had really been um, putting a finger on that in my heart and mind. Like, you know the way that you speak to yourself is not the way I speak to you at all. And in some ways, like, I felt that it was something I needed to repent of. Like, I am so harsh on myself. So that was like the theme for the year is like, I want you, Amber, like I want you to speak to yourself. Like every time you catch yourself going negative, I want you to speak to yourself as, as someone I love. I want you to speak encouragement to yourself. I want you to tell yourself you're doing a good job. Um, wow, I'm so proud of you. I mean, anything, like <laughs> any, any uh, bit of encouragement. Um, so I don't know, I tried to like condense it into a word because of course I'm still trying to do that. And it was like, well, two words. It was like inner cheerleader <laughs> instead of inner critic. And I just, it's a silly thought, but just imagining myself like a, like a little cheerleader on my shoulder being like, go Amber, <laughs> you know. Um, but speak to yourself as someone God loves. God loves. Our second category is loving our neighbors. Um, okay, so we have this very famous passage in the New Testament where the disciples ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, basically everybody. It's kind of a rhetorical question. Um, and yes, Jesus isn't just talking about our physical neighbors, but more or less um, people that we interact with on a regular basis. Uh, but this is one I've been particularly convicted by over the last several years. I'll explain why in a minute here. But um, it's worth asking ourselves, Again, another kind of like personal assessment or inventory. How well do you know your neighbor? Either like the physical neighbors around you or people that you interact with on a regular basis. Like, quick gauge. How well do you think you know them? Are you able to see them as a soul that Jesus loves with all their quirks and warts and wrinkles and all of that? Like, are you able to see them in a moment as a soul that Jesus loves? Do you know their background? Do you know some of their struggles? Do you know um, any about like where they work or anything about their family? Um, and you might say like, well, maybe or maybe not, but does it really matter? And, and I would argue, yes, that it matters because the more that you know someone, the better you're able to love them as Jesus loves them. The more you know someone, the better you're able to love them. So quick story. In our 20s, my husband and I um, worked at a church. We served as pastors there, and we were just like way too crazy busy for our own good. <laughs> and we lived, we lived on Fieldcrest Road. And in the five years that we lived there, I only knew these neighbors, Jim and Doris. I never knew these guys and these guys. <laughs> um, I knew these people were married and they had some teens, but I couldn't tell you how many people lived in their house. And I knew these people over here had younger kids, like like three to eight. And um, I don't know how many kids they had. I just knew that they liked to go sledding on their hill a lot. And that's like literally all that I knew about these guys. I think one of them maybe worked at a bakery, um, but that was about it. And I know that like different, there can be different cultures everywhere you go and different neighborhoods can be different. And some, sometimes like people just kind of like, zip out to go to work and they zip home, they pull into their driveway and they shut the door and like you literally never see their faces. So, I mean, it can be culture too. But 
Um, after we lived on Fieldcrest Road, um, we moved to a new neighborhood, and I stepped out of ministry for a season. I wasn't working anywhere, and I was home all the time. And, f- and within four months of living in my new neighborhood, there was a knock on my door, and my new neighbor was there standing, and he says, hey, I've got a family crisis. Um, it's kind of touch and go right now. Um, I, I got to go, and I'm just wondering if you could check my mail for me, if you could collect my mail for the week, because we're probably going to be gone for about a week. And I was standing there. I was like, oh, my goodness, yes, of course I'll check your mail. Um, hey, can I p- pray for your family member? So I grabbed his hand quick, and I prayed, and then off he went, and it was just, like, super quick. It was like a minute conversation. Um, but he left, and I just, like... <laughs> like if you ever feel like whoosh the presence of the Lord coming on you and and conviction I just started tearing up because that exchange never would have happened at the, our old place that we lived um, and I had this thought like man alive in four months time I feel like I was a better pastor than for the five years I ever lived at that one place just because in that short amount of time we had had enough exchanges outside just talking back and forth just chatting like I knew a little bit about his family um, I you know I knew where he worked I knew just like enough about him enough about him where like he you know he trusted us like hey check our mail you know and um and I just, that, it was so profound to me that um, it forever changed how I see my neighborhood, for one. Like, guys, I want to know my neighbors. I want us to know our neighbors. <laughs> like, to know them enough that you know about their lives. Um, I really think that's how we're supposed to do community and not be so busy rushing in and out. And, I mean, Christmas time is a busy season. So, if anything, just encourage us to slow down and get to know our neighbors. Um, but the point being, if we can just get super practical on how we can put love in action when it comes to our neighbors, and it is this, chatting with your neighbor is good ministry. Simple as that. <laughs> chatting with your neighbor is good ministry. Like, I don't care what you talk about. Talk about the weather, talk about snow blowing your yard, whatever it is. But those little exchanges um, can go a long way. Um, it might seem small and inconsequential, but... I would argue that since it's something that's becoming more and more rare, anything, the more rare it becomes, the higher it increases in value, right? Um, Dramatically even, value and impact. And we all come hardwired to be seen, to be acknowledged, and to be heard. And something as simple as I see my neighbor across the yard and I'm hollering, Hey, Jim, (laughs) like we come hardwired to be seen. And when you do that, when you make time to simply say hello, make eye contact, um, talk about the weather, I mean, as simple as it is, uh, you're essentially saying to someone, I see you and you matter. I see you. Jesus always saw the overlooked and the marginalized. He always saw them. And I want to see them too. Jesus even gives validity to these small and simple ministries, or we think they're small, and he says, you know, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, like Jesus puts value on that too. Um, Okay, so if we're like, for any of you who are like, give me a goal or something to reach for, um, I came across this study recently, and I thought it was super interesting. In 2018, the University of Kansas uh, did a study with a team of social scientists to gauge, practically speaking, how long it takes a friendship to be built, like how much time. 
And so I thought this was interesting. On average, it takes about 50 hours of interacting to go from like, hi, my name is, um, to like a casual friendship or acquaintanceship, 50 hours. And an additional 40 hours after that before you kind of cross the line into like a real friendship and then 200 hours approximately total before you cross the line into, okay, now we're close friends. So that's just interesting. Um, so here's like a challenge for you for the coming year, because it's gonna take a while. I would love to challenge us to try to work toward just that baseline 50 hours with our neighbors. And that might seem daunting even, like, make it small if you have to. Pick, like, three, three of your neighbors or something like that. And, and think, okay, about how many? Uh, 50 hours. Like, working toward that, like, saying hello. Like, it's going to take a little more than those brief touch points. It'll take, like, pausing for five minutes, pausing for ten minutes. But there's a challenge for us. See if you can get toward 50. We're not aiming to be BFFs with everyone around us. Let me be clear. Nobody can handle that. But we are aiming to know enough about the people around us so that we can see Jesus in them, to love them as Jesus did. Okay, third category is loving foreigners. So this is maybe... Hold on, I need, I need some coffee here. Mm. That's where you mute. <laughs> just kidding. Um, by the way, my hubby's on sound this morning. And I just have to say, we're having our 14th anniversary this week. And so, love you, babe. Um, okay, anyway, our, ne- our next category is loving foreigners. And this would be like the opposite category to loving our neighbors, right? Neighbors are people we see all the time. Um, foreigners are people who are passing through um, or they just show up in unfamiliar territory. There may be new people in our context. Okay, so if you're in a transient season of life, like if you're a young adult or if you're a college student, you, like you are, you, everywhere you go you feel like a foreigner or everybody is a foreigner to you, okay? Um, so this would definitely apply. But if you are somewhere settled and you've been there for a long time, this can be anyone from students coming and going, the new family that moved in down the block, especially if they're from the other side of the country, or immigrants, um, anyone who comes in and you're the one that's settled. And here's what scripture says about loving the foreigner. Exodus 22, 21 through 22, it says, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. Leviticus 19, this is the one that has our love your neighbor as yourselves. It says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Deuteronomy 10 says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And then, of course, we get to the New Testament, um, and Jesus is, like, tearing down walls in the book of Galatians, and he's saying, you know, almost like there is no foreigners, there are no Jews, there are no Gentiles, um, you are one. It's so important for us to recognize that all throughout Scripture, um, and especially here in, like, these, new, these um, 
Old Testament scriptures that God is defining, or love, love is defined by God as inclusion and provision. He's including people who are outsiders, and he's providing for them. It's love in action, and it's really practical. The way we express the law of love toward the outsider, whoever it is, is that we treat them as an insider. Just as Jesus has already done for us when he welcomed us as the foreigner Gentile into his family of God, we were the foreigners, and God welcomed us in. He gave us a seat at the table, and we all belong. So good questions for us to ask is, how well are we doing that? How are we treating the foreigner among us? How do we respond when someone new moves into the area and maybe they want to do things a little differently? How do we respond to that? Do we help them when they are in need? Do we open our hands and widen our circles to welcome them in and include them as though they belong? Do we treat them as, as if they were there all along to begin with? As if they were native born? Say, you belong here, you're an insider. Fourth category is loving the poor. There's this really fascinating portion of scripture in Deuteronomy 15 that I came off. And I have to tell you, I was totally geeking out on the Old Testament, like all during prepping this message. There's a really fascinating portion. Um, God is, um, the people are going into, um, they're, they're in the promised land. Uh, God has given them the law. And he says to them, um, when you're here, uh, there actually should be no poor among you because I'm going to bless you like crazy. Like I'm going to meet your every need and you, will, you won't just have like what you need, but you're going to have more than enough. Like you're going to be living in lavish abundance. So there should actually be no poor among you. But God says, there will always be poor among you and I want you to have compassion on them and I want you to take care of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like right away, I'm reading that and I'm like, What? Like, here right there, God says, I'm giving you everything you need. And yet, there's still going to be people who somehow don't have enough. I don't want, he, what he doesn't say is, like, you're to, like, judge them and say, hey, you should have everything you need. He tells them to have compassion on them. In fact, I'll read it. Uh, this is 7 through 11 in Deuteronomy 15. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land of the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. He doesn't blame the poor for their condition here. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us in our, especially in our first world, we live in the wealthiest nation of the world. Like, we want to, like, read into that, like, some sort of, like, blame or, like, just so you know, it is all their fault. <laughs> like, that's not written there. Um, instead, it's only compassion and it's love, love in action. But Jesus, he doesn't condemn I mean, after all, this is what Jesus does all the time for us, right? He doesn't, he doesn't like, you know, 
say this like it's all your fault, speaking shame and condemnation to us, but no, like he, he looks on our neediness, even like our pitifulness, with compassion and he steps in to help. He lifts our chin and he says, here, I'm offering you everything. I'm offering you everything. Jesus shows love in action toward the poor. And he's not transactional about it. He has given us everything. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave everything. He's not waiting for us to, you know, earn it in return. His love is not transactional. We often don't want to make it that way. <laughs> like, we want to make it. We want to make it like a transaction because that's, like, easy to understand, you know. Um, but it's not. That itself is profound, but perhaps the most profoundly hard to understand category that we're going to talk about this morning is our fifth one, loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. So in Matthew 5, it says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. So when it comes to loving our neighbors, there's that question of, well, who is my neighbor? And as we said before, it's kind of a rhetorical question because the idea is like, well, everyone you know, everyone is. You don't exclude someone from, from love. You treat them all as, as your neighbor. But when it comes to loving our neighbors, I would actually like, or loving our enemies, I'd actually like to turn around and ask kind of that same question for us this morning is, who is my enemy? And um, I'm sure, like, maybe everybody in the room, you've got, like, faces coming to your mind right now, like, them, they're my enemy, you know, like, I'm mad at them, or, um, so, like, Maybe specific people come, come to mind, but I would love for you to like, just pause for a minute and think about it broadly speaking. Like, who is our enemy broadly speaking? Um, maybe it's people who've been unkind to you, who've said and done terrible things. Um, maybe it's people you're in competition with uh, or people you consider a threat to you or your way of life somehow or people you fear. Who is our enemy? Um, so here's another story in just full confession. <laughs> like, uh, years ago, I was also in my 20s, I was in the middle of, like, a really just kind of ugly season for me of, like, relational conflict. And um, I had this person in my life who I thought we were friends, but things just went sour, like, really, really fast. And they had said and done just some really awful things to me, and it was eating me up. Like, I don't know if you ever have stuff like that where it's like you can't stop thinking about it. It was eating me up. And my parents were coming to visit, and they lived many hours away. And um, my, my dad had been a pastor for many, many years, and I was so excited for them to come and for me to, like, talk with my dad about this, like, because it was eating me up. And it was kind of like, you know, that image of, like, you're climbing the mountain to talk to the wise sage on the top of the mountain. Like, that's kind of how I was seeing, like, I'm going to talk to my dad, and he's going to give me this wise advice. And so I remember so clearly, like, sitting in this pizza restaurant, and I'm, like, pouring my heart out about... Um, 
about this struggle I'm having. And then, and then um, at the same time, I had been um, in my graduate program studying theology. And so I'm like, I not only have this angst in my heart, but I'm also like asking all these big theological questions. And it's just like, it's eating me up at the same time. And so I asked my dad, I was like, I'm like, okay, dad, like, so I've been kind of studying this and I have this kind of issue in my life. And I would just love to know your thoughts on this. Like, who is my enemy? Um, do you know what he said? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> in fact, I think he just kind of went, he like laughed a little bit like, huh. huh. <laughs> and that's all he said, like a chuckle and a, huh. <laughs> uh, this is not helping. <laughs> um, honestly, I think sometimes silence is the best advice we can give. Um, sometimes what our hearts need the most is just to sit uncomfortably with our questions until our questions change us. So I want to ask again in a way that maybe makes you a little uncomfortable, (laughs) who is your enemy? Kind of rhetorical again, almost like it's not meant to have an answer. Who is my enemy? Again, looking at what scripture has to say about it. In Exodus 23, and this is so practical, if you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that is strayed away, take it back to its owner. If you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. Offer practical help when you see someone in need, even if it's your enemy. In Luke 6, we have one of the most challenging portions of scripture, I think, on love, speaking to this very thing. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He is kind. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And I don't know about you, but this is a tall order for me. Like, (laughs) I read this one, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, Lord. You know, just being honest. Um, And if I can be quick to follow this right up with, kindness does not mean that we allow people in our life who are constantly being toxic or abusing, that we allow them to keep doing that. Um, In fact, I would say to do that is unkind toward them. Boundaries are very loving. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Boundaries are loving. Um, I love this quote by Dr. Caroline Leaf. She says, a challenging person is a lesson, not an enemy. 
And challenging might mean toxic, or it might mean abusive, or maybe they're extremely negative, or maybe they're always confrontational, or they're controlling. Whatever it is, they're a challenging person, and they are a lesson to be learned, not an enemy to be made of. And the lesson might be that you wisely keep your distance from them. <laughs> I mean, this is a bit of wisdom here, honestly. Um, Maybe you don't engage much in relationship or even conversation, but you love them from a distance, so to speak, right? Love them from a distance, from far over there. Um, but the main thing is that you refuse to see them as anything less than God's beloved son or daughter, as anything less than image bearer, and you just pray for them. <laughs> pray for them, pray for them. Ephesians 6, 12 since we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I mean, if we really are going to answer that, we really only have one enemy, Satan himself. It's so hard, but we've got to look at those in our life who we consider enemies in some form or fashion to constantly go like it's not them. It's not them. Maybe we have boundaries. Um, maybe we work really hard at those boundaries. But we work really hard on our own hearts to say, I will pray for them as someone who needs Jesus so, so, so much to help them not to be toxic and to help them not to be so negative or not to be confrontational or whatever it is. As we wrap up this morning, I would love to just simply turn our attention back to the extravagant love of God that he has for us. He made the first move and the kind of love that he has toward all these different groups of people that we talked about this morning. He can empower us to love others in that way too. Psalm 145, 8 through 9, it says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate. He is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Psalm 146 says he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his only son, his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him and love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. As we've seen this morning, scripture is chock full of examples of how God is one who puts his love in action. He steps in, he intervenes. He doesn't just sit there and watch us wallow in our misery, even if we've caused that misery ourselves. God is one who steps in. He does something. He rescues us, he offers provision, he gives us mercy, he offers us advocacy, justice, kindness. 
and he's no respecter of persons. He feeds hungry bellies, he heals diseases, he cares for the poor and the marginalized, he welcomes the foreigner and says, you belong here, welcome home. And I so wanna do the same. Amen, church? Let's do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love. God, we really can't even wrap our head around it. As your word says, it's too great for us. Who can know it? You're so good. Lord, you have welcomed me home so lavishly as someone who doesn't belong. You have fed me when I have been poor and destitute and hungry. You have seen me and valued me, called me your daughter and said you matter. You have called me your friend and neighbor. How great that is. Jesus, I just say thank you. God, would you help us this Christmas season to fully immerse ourselves in that love of God, to know it from our head to our toes, letting it flow out of our own hearts, to be a people who doesn't just say that we love those around us, but who puts hands and feet to what we do, who puts it into action, who sees the people around us in our communities and our neighborhoods that are in need in whatever way that may look like. They're in need relationally. They're in need financially. They need encouragement. They need care. They need healing. And help us to meet those around us with the love that you've shown us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.